0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we have been um, looking at... The account of the idolatry that the Israelites fall into, so God rescues them out of Egypt, uh, rescues them from the bondage to the Egyptians, but also rescues them from the spiritual bondage they were under to these other gods that that were being worshipped by the Egyptians, and so they're they're being raised and indoctrinated in a culture where uh, where the earth and the things of the earth are, are uh, pitched as being superior and uh they're having to be reprogrammed as they come out of that environment and and the Lord is working and moving to do that and in the midst of uh the salvation and the 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 showing of his superiority through the plagues and then bringing them through the red sea and bring him through the wilderness and bring him to the mountain giving him the law or giving them the law um they, they fall into idolatry. They turn back to what they know, and in, in the midst of wondering how long Moses is going to be on the mountain, questioning the, the timing of God, uh, they fall into uh, idolatrous affairs, and um, God sends Moses down to deal with it, right? And, and there's this question mark that, that's been looming as to what are the after effects of the idolatry? What's the long-term impact of God's relationship? To this people. And we saw last week that Moses goes onto the mountain to appeal uh, to God as an advocate. He has this meeting with God where he appeals to to God for um, the ability basically to stand in their place, to sacrifice himself so that they can be spared. And God communicates that uh, while that's noble, it's not possible that Moses isn't a perfect sacrifice. And He can't stand in the gap in that manner for Israel. And so it points us to the need for something greater, which we talked about points us to Jesus. Um, We talked specifically last week about how God doesn't change his mind, even though it looks as though the uh, advocacy of Moses shifts uh, God from what he was going to do. We talked about how it simply uh, shows that God is able to um, work and move in such a way where his people are spared just as he wanted them to be spared, right? We talked about how he doesn't blot us out from our eternal security. Instead, he works to remove rebellion from this earth. And then uh, specifically, we looked at, at the very end how he doesn't, he doesn't depart from his people, right? There's this question as to whether or how he will go with his people into the promised land. And Moses says, look, we don't want to go if it's not with you. Like we don't want to go anywhere unless you go with us. We don't want to. We don't want to take steps. We don't want to move in directions unless you go with us. It's what makes us distinct as your people. And so we left off last week with uh, God responding and saying in verse seventeen of Exodus thirty-three that that He's going to grant that request. It says that um, the Lord said to Moses, "This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight." and I know you by name. We pick up now reading in verse 18, it says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's look at our summary sentence for today. God's glory is best understood through his goodness, a goodness revealed more and more in the sovereign ways he shows his grace, mercy, provision, And protection, all of which find their ultimate revelation in Jesus. God's glory is best understood through His goodness, a goodness revealed more and more in the sovereign ways He shows His grace, mercy, provision, and protection, all of which find their ultimate revelation in Jesus. For our kids, God wants us to know that He is good, and He shows that best through Jesus. We probably only have three or four more weeks in the book of Exodus, and so as we come to the end of this study, hopefully we're seeing how it really culminates in pointing us to a need for Jesus, that ultimately God's salvation finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And so all these shadows that we've started to lay groundwork for, uh, the priesthood, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, him entering into a, a, a relationship with them through these means, it's pointing us to a greater need for fulfillment, a greater priest, a greater tabernacle, a greater judgment seat. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus is the fulfillment. And we're going to see today that he's the ultimate fulfillment of seeing God's glory. Moses has this desire to, to experience God on a more intimate level, right? He, he wants to know God. He wants to know God, and he's not content with the level of knowledge that he has currently. I'd ask you this question. What is it that we want people to think when they think of us? Think about that question for a second. What do you want people to think when they think about you? What do you want people to to think? what, What picture do you want to come to mind when people hear your name? And is that reality, is that what does come to mind when people hear your name, when they think about you? Um, some of us go to great lengths to uh, to try to portray what we hope people will think about us, right? That's, that's one of the downsides of social media is that so many people use it as a means to try to convey a story or convey a reality this is who I am, and and oftentimes it shows a, a greater livelihood than maybe that person's actually experiencing. But if they can make other people think that that's what's happening, they're okay with that, right? What do we want people to think when they think of us? What picture comes to mind when we think about God? What picture comes to your mind when you hear the name of God? how we answer that impacts and influences everything we do in our life. Like in reality, what really comes to mind when we think about God, not what should come to mind, right? For some of us, we know what we should think about God, but maybe our experience has been different, right? Like maybe we hear constantly that God is good and God is kind and God is loving. And yet at times we're wondering like, when will he be those things to me? So not for all of us, is, is it the case where uh, those things come to mind when we think about God? Some of us have had maybe what we feel like are other experiences, and that's not what initially comes to our mind when we think about God. What are, what are the things, what are the images that come to our mind? Because it's how, how, uh, how we think about God impacts and influences everything that we do. This passage gives us insight into what picture God wants us to have when we think of him. What does he see as his defining characteristic? We see that when Moses says, show me your glory, his communication is, I will show you my goodness. There's an implication here that for God, his glory is best understood in his goodness. Moses makes this request for God to show him his glory. He expresses a desire for more after God has already granted him requests, right? If you go back into verse 12, we see Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. He goes on to talk about how the nation needs God's presence. It's what makes them distinct. The Lord says, I'll grant you this. And so Moses steps forward and says, let me ask one more thing. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, I'll grant that request as well. I'm going to show you my goodness. He wants to see the splendor, the radiance of God. Show me your worthiness. Show me your weightiness. Show me your value. We've talked before about how that's, that's really what glory is. It's God's weightiness. It's his, it's his worthiness. It's what makes him who he is. And Moses says, I want to know that more. I want to know your value as much as possible. Now, this passage is mysterious because I can't really tell you how what he is asking for is different from what he's already seen. That's kind of a mystery of this passage. What's he seen versus what he feels like he hasn't seen? Think about what Moses has already encountered. He's already seen a level of God's glory at the burning bush, right? He's had that experience of, of being on holy ground where his shoes were removed and God is speaking to him, through this burning bush and revealing his sovereign name to him. We also talked a couple of weeks ago how he had supper with the elders on the mountain, right? He gets this, this, this image or this picture uh, of being below the throne room of God and having dinner with God. He has uh, had an, a personal experience on the mountain that, that seems to be increasingly greater than the burning bush after he separates from the elders and he goes up to hear about the priesthood, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. Talks about God's glory descending on the mountain and communicating with Moses. And then we've seen, as we saw last week, he's had this, this experience in the tent of meeting where he's he's communing with God. He's in the midst of a conversation with God and he's saying, I want more. I don't know that it's clear what he's already experienced versus what he's asking. Right? I can't tell you that he, he's seen this much of God and now he's asking to see this much more. It's a mystery to the passage, but what I do think is communicated to us is that Moses is just never satisfied with how much he knows God. And that's not a bad thing. Right? It's where we all should be, a, a holy dissatisfaction with our understanding and experience of God. We should always be wanting more. We should always be craving more knowledge and more understanding and more experience with him. God's response is that finite, fallen creatures can't see him and live, but he says, I'm going to do, do what I can for you. I'm going to show you my backside, right? Again, super mysterious because we we know God is spirit, right? So God doesn't have a bodily human form like we think of. We see that in Jesus, right? But God being spirit, we know that he's the invisible God. And so what does it mean to see the backside of his glory? Scripture doesn't choose to elaborate on that, right? Uh, it is figurative language because there is this invisible majesty And he's going to make it known to Moses and he uses human terms, human body parts to communicate how that's going to take place. And so we're going to try to break that down and and help us to see what's happening here for Moses and what does that mean for us thousands and thousands of years later? Like what does this passage communicate to us as we get ready to leave on a Sunday afternoon and head out for the week? What, What does this passage mean for us going forward? All right, let's look number one, pursue God as your most important treasure. Pursue God as your most important treasure. Now this fits in the overall themes of what we've seen the last few weeks as we talk about what it means to give ourselves to idols, right? What does it mean for us to allow idolatry to seep into our life where we're we're giving our affection and we're finding our hope and our assurance and our security in things that aren't God. We pursue God as our most important treasure. Moses is communicating this Uh, insatiable desire to know him and to experience him. The question that I would ask for you this morning is, are you content with the level of knowledge and experience you have with God currently? Are you content with the level of knowledge and experience you have with God currently? If you're honest with yourself, would you say, I've seen enough. Like, I'm content. Like, I I don't have to know more. I don't need to see more. I don't have a desire to experience more. Like, I'm good. I'm content. I'm satisfied. Moses has had great experiences with God, right? Maybe in a sense to where we would say like greater experiences with God than we have in the New Testament, and yet he's not satisfied. He wanted more of God in his life, and God found this pleasing to answer, right? We should have this holy dissatisfaction. He wasn't satisfied with what he knew, what he experienced. He has an unquenching desire to to know more of God. We see these requests simplified maybe in the earlier verses. What does he say back in uh, verses 12 through 17? It's the idea that he wants to know God's ways. Why? So that he can know him better. He wants to have intimacy with God. Is that where you're at today? Do you have a, a longing and a desire for more? Do you want to see God more at work in your life than he is currently? Do you want to have a better, deeper understanding of his grace and his mercy, his wisdom and his provision, his goodness in your life? Are you content? Maybe you would say, I thought I, I, thought, I, I, thought, I, I thought I wanted him more, but, but as I'm starting to see Moses' desires, maybe I don't. So now I, now I need to, to want him more. Right Like maybe maybe you came in content and, and you want to be discontent, which would lead to the second question: Are you unsatisfied enough to experience whatever it takes to know God more? Are you unsatisfied enough to experience whatever it takes to know God more? What does God communicate to Moses when Moses asks for his glory? He says, "I'll, I'll make my goodness known to you. I'm going to make my name known to you." My grace and my mercy are going to be put on display. He goes on to talk about provision and protection at the end of this section. As he says, I'm going to show myself to you, but I'm also going to put you in a place where you're protected. I'm going to provide a place of rock where you can be covered. I'm going to cover you with my hand, and then then I'm going to give you an appropriate view of me. So there's provision and protection that's attached there. The attributes, think about this, the attributes that we cling most to are best understood and experienced in the most difficult of times. You ever thought about that? Like the the attributes of God that we cling to most typically are best understood when God carries us through difficult times. So so in in a sense, we do have to be careful what we ask for here. Like, God, show me more of you. Let me experience more of you. I want to need you more and to know you more. In a sense, what we're asking for at times is, God, put me in a spot where I have to run to you, which are typically not the desirable uh, circumstances that we also long for as well, right? Moses says, I want to know you more. My question for you today would be, do you want to know him more? And are you unsatisfied enough to, to do whatever it takes to experience and to know him more? Job's a great example of this. Job chapter 42, verse one. Job gives us insight into kind of the, the, the byproduct of all that he's had to go through, right? Like all of his experiences have led to him knowing God more. Look what he says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What's he saying there? He's saying, before all of this trial, before all of these circumstances that you brought me through, I'd heard of you. I'd heard great things about you. I'd heard of your testimony. I have heard of what you were capable of, but I hadn't really experienced it myself. He says, I hadn't really had firsthand knowledge of what it means to know you at this level. And he says, I have that now. It's not just a matter of me hearing. I've seen it. And he's not talking about I've seen you visually, right? It's I've seen your attributes at work in my life. I can now personally proclaim your mercy, your grace, your love, your wisdom, your power, because I've seen it directly in my life. Now, there's probably not many of us that would say, hey, do what you did to Job to me so I can know you more, right? Like most of us would be like, I want like the comfy life and I wanna know your goodness that way right? Like, like, give me all the things that I want, and then I'll say, you're good. Job has, has the other experience. It's God takes everything away from him, and it's at that moment where he really sees his goodness. I've heard about it. Now I've seen it, Job says. He confessed that what he had heard about God only truly became known in his life after the trials. Here's the temptation for us. The temptation for us is to long for and to pursue things that we ultimately plan to misuse, which gives us a decreasing need for God. Let me say that again, because we're going to try to unpack whether you really are pursuing God and a deeper, intimate understanding of him, or are you pursuing things that actually pull you away from him? The temptation for us is to long for and to pursue things that we ultimately plan to misuse, which will give us a decreasing need for God. To want the things I want so I can enjoy this life more, not so I can see his glory better. So just stop for a minute and think about what are the things that you want most in life that you don't currently have right now? Typically, the things that we want most in this life are things that we want with the desire to enjoy this life more, not to glory in him better. Right? Like, like we want... And I've had different stages of my life where I had to push back against these temptations, right? I remember being 26, 27, no spouse, no family, and wondering, like, where does God want to take me? What does God want to do here, right? We often desire a spouse and children not for the purpose of showing his love and pointing them to him, but to meet intimacy needs that we have, intimacy needs that are best fulfilled by him. Right? It's not want, wrong to desire a spouse. It's not wrong to desire children. But what does scripture point us to? Scripture points us to those things being a means of making God known better and knowing him better ourselves. Right? Like you read all the passages about husbands and wives and how they're to love and to serve each other as Christ loves the church, right? Like it's it's a way for us to point other individuals on this earth to him. Men and women come together as husband and wife so that they can love each other for sure, but so that they can love each other as Christ loves, so that as individuals they come to know Christ more. We have children not just to to meet cravings and desires that we have or to live vicariously through them to accomplish things that we never accomplished. We desire children to raise them to give glory and honor to their creator, right? Right? We often desire a job that provides more and more financially, not so we can be generous, but so we can fulfill cravings of our own. We often desire a big house with more land, not so we can demonstrate hospitality, but so we can relax and store up our other cravings that we now have with this money. Our desires should echo the psalmist who longed for more and more of God. What do they say? To dwell in, in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere right? I want to I I desire you and pant for you like a deer pants for water. Like you're the most important thing. Whether you give me the spouse or not, whether you give me children or not, whether you give me a, a house or, or land or, or a job or finances, whether you give me things like that or not, you're the most important thing. That's where we have to be as believers. That's the thing that we're pursuing to know God more. And whatever ways he chooses to, to bring that knowledge to us, we're content with it because we're discontent if we don't know him. We don't want the things that would maybe give us less of a need for him, right? We don't want to find our our relational needs met solely by, by earthly relationships. We don't want our finances met strictly by a job. We want to be in a position where we have to trust him. Again, it's not evil or wrong to desire and to want these things, but what's the motivation for it? Do we desire these things to use for his glory because he's our greatest treasure or have we moved these things into a position of treasure? See, none of us wanna say that we have idols in our life. None of us wanna say that we're, we're guilty of idolatry that seems so foreign and so so out outward uh, towards somebody else than us. Like that's something that others would deal with, not ourselves. But if we're honest and we dig down deep, if he's not our ultimate treasure, if he's not our ultimate pursuit then whatever else is has become an idol for us. We're to pursue God as our most important treasure. It's the most important thing for Moses, right? He says, I don't want to go anywhere and I don't want to have anything unless you're there with me. Don't give me the promised land. Don't give me everything that comes with the promised land. Don't give me victory over my enemies. Don't give me all the things that this world can offer if I don't have you. Pursue God as your most important treasure. Number two. Plan to see God in his specific ways for you. Plan to see God in his specific ways for you. God says, Moses, I'll show you my glory, and it starts with my goodness. It starts with you understanding how good of a God I am. We too, number one, can expect the goodness of God in our lives. I think these next few verses that we're going to look at in, in 33 and then into 34, because we're setting ourselves up for verses 6 and 7 where, where God really explains the name Yahweh to us and what the ingredients are that make up that name. Right? Why is this so important? Because God is basically being asked by man, define yourself for me. Like, how am I supposed to understand you? How am I supposed to think about you? Like, what pictures are supposed to come to mind when I hear your name and God says, I'll tell you? Like, this is super important revelation for us. These are things that we can't know fully unless God defines it for us. And God does that. He chooses to reveal it. When pressed for more revelation, God chose to emphasize his goodness This is one of his most important, if not most important, attributes according to him. I put in my notes, when you know God is good, it removes all other doubts you might have about him. Let me say that again. When you know God is good, it removes all other doubts you might have about him. Just knowing that he's good allows you to filter everything else through that knowledge and you can be content and can accept it. Think about when you're watching a movie and the, the writer of the movie is doing a really good job of keeping someone's uh, goodness or evilness kind of veiled, right? Like you've seen these movies where, where you're watching it a, a play out and you're like, I don't know if that character is a good guy or a bad guy. And, and, you, and, you, and you can't trust them because of that, right? You're like, this character might be doing good things. They might be, they might be looking kind and gracious and whatnot, but I just, I, I don't know if, if it's really a good character or not. And until you know, there's this, there's, there's this doubt and uncertainty about it. And, and maybe you see some things playing out and you're like, that doesn't seem very good. This guy must be, or this girl must be a, a bad character in this movie. And then and then and then by the end of the movie you find out maybe it's a good character who you thought was a bad character all along and now it changes everything that you've seen previously. If this person's good, then all that other stuff was meant for good too. Right? Have you seen those type of movies? You've seen this type of characters where you thought they were bad, but they end up being good, which now makes all of their activity prior to that okay. It's like, "Hey, All of that activity was moving towards a good purpose. Or the flip side happens sometimes. You think a character is good, only to find out at the end that character's bad, which means all that good stuff previously, you don't really care about anymore because it's like, that's bad too, because that's a bad character. When we really believe that God's a good character in this story, when we really believe he is good above all other things, man, it just removes all the doubt. It removes all the doubt, so you can say, like, God took this thing from me. God took this thing from me, or God hasn't given me this thing yet. We've all been in those situations. Sometimes it's greater things that are taken from us than others. Sometimes it's greater things that have been withheld from us than others have experienced. But we've all had cases where God has taken things and not given things, and we've been tempted to question whether he's good or not. God wants us to understand he is good. He is good, which means when he takes, it's okay, it's good. When he doesn't give and he withholds, it's good as well. Just like we would come to trust a character in a movie because we find out it's a good character. He's on the good team. Everything else that happens by that character, we come to be okay with because we know they're good. We know they're a positive part of this story. They're on the good side. God communicates to Moses, here's the, here's the most important thing for you to know about me. I am good. Everything else flows from that, right? We, we, uh, we studied recently uh, Psalm 104 through 5 at Trinity with our middle school students and our fourth and fifth graders. That passage talks about God's goodness, his love, and his faithfulness. The fact that he is good and chooses to give that good to us is the loving aspect of God. He's good, he shares that goodness, that makes him loving, and he does it for all generations, which makes him faithful. But all of those things are flowing from the fact that he is a good God. God says, there's, there's one thing that I really want you to know about me, Moses. My goodness. My goodness. Stephen Sharnock says, the goodness of God is the brightness and the loveliness of our majestical creator. He's got a book called The Existence and Attributes of God. I'm gonna try to have at least one copy at our Christmas party next Sunday for you to pick from when you look at all the books. It's a big, fat book. It's a really, really good book, though. Like, it will challenge your mind about the attributes of God. It will push you to know him in ways that you haven't maybe been able to understand before. I'm going to tell you like his content on the unchangeableness of God in light of passages where you read and it seems like God changed his mind, super good. Really, really insightful. We need that type of challenge to our minds and our hearts because when we go through trials like Job, we will be tempted to think he's not a good character in the story because if he was good, he would give me this or he wouldn't take this from me. God says, up front, before we ever start really heading towards the promised land, you guys got to know, I'm a good God. I'm going I'm to bring fiery serpents later to attack the grumbling Israelites. Is he no longer a good God? No, he's absolutely good. He won't let us stay in a place where we're not trusting him. He'll send fiery serpents if necessary to bring us back to him. You know how we know he's good? Because he puts a bronze serpent in the midst of the people and says, look to him for salvation right he's a good good god and we can expect that goodness in our lives it's not just for moses his goodness is for us uh, is for us as well much of what we experience about god flows from that concept of goodness we should never underestimate the importance of his goodness all his wisdom all his power all his plans all his purposes they're desirable because he's good doesn't matter if he's a wise god Doesn't matter if he's a powerful God. Doesn't matter if he's got plans that can't be thwarted. Doesn't matter if he has purposes that can't be stopped if he's bad. But man, if he's good, that's exactly what we desire. Like we want a God who's in control, who has all the power, who has all the wisdom, who can make any plan and any purpose come to fruition if he's a good guy. If he's a good character, that's who we want in charge. And God says, that's what you've got. You've got a good, good God. Number two we can expect the sovereignty of God in our lives. He's good, and he's also completely in control. He proclaims his name of Lord, or Yahweh. He says, I'm gonna gonna let my goodness pass before you, and I'm gonna proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Now, we'll, we'll unpack this more in the coming weeks, but the depth of understanding of who Yahweh is becomes more clear in chapter 34, verses six and seven. He says, this is what it means for me to be Yahweh. But he says, I'm gonna make my name known to you. And then he goes on to say, my grace and my mercy are gonna be given to whom I choose. He says, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What does that communicate to us about his sovereignty? It means that his grace and his mercy are not tied to the will or the plans of another. He operates independently without influence. He's the ultimate, like, one in charge. See, like, at Trinity, I've got people entrusted to me under my care. But my power and my control is limited. Right? There's times where my teachers will come to me and ask me for something, hey, can we do this, or can we go back to doing it this way, or can we have this, and, and my response can't be, sure, yes, I control that, let's do it. There's, there's times when I can say that. There's times when I can say, yeah, that's a great point, or that's a great, that's a great idea, let's implement that, let's do that. But there's other times when they come to me and say, can I have this, or can we do this, and I have to say, I don't know, I'll have to ask. Right? Like I'll have, to, I'll have to see if my boss is willing to let us do that. Even if I agree with the idea, even if I think that would be, that would be great for our staff or great for our students, I don't have the authority to, to just say, yeah, let's roll with that. Let's make that happen. There's even ideas that I come up with, my, with myself. Hey, I'd love to do this for our staff. I'd love to give this to our teachers, or I'd love to make this possible for the people underneath me. I don't have the power to do it all the time. I have to go ask for permission. I have to go make an appeal to the one above me to say, can we have permission to do this? God's communicating, I don't have to do that, right? Like my goodness is available to you and I can give mercy and grace however I choose. I don't have to check in with anybody. I don't have to put in an appeal. I don't have to make a request. Like this is all under my control. I have the authority to do what I want to do. He's fully in control alone in himself. He operates independently without influence. Why is that good? Because we can fully trust that his goodness will flow towards us. See, sometimes my goodness can't flow uninterrupted, right? Like like there's there's parameters that are put in place where I don't have the ability to control everything. God says there are no buffers, there are no parameters put in place. My goodness can flow freely whenever I want to, however I choose. That's an assurance given. We can expect that sovereignty in our own lives. Number three, we can expect the provision and protection of God in our lives as well. He tells Moses that he's going to show him his glory, but he's gonna limit his exposure. He's gonna limit the exposure that Moses can have. To give him more would kill him at this point. Look what he says, you can't see my face for man shall not see me and live. He's protected by God from God. If Moses were to see a complete revelation of God and his eternal being, it would be so overwhelming that it would destroy him. He can't show his full glory to sinful man. He's gonna show his goodness, but he can't show all of it. Notice and see how God is good and that he works out ways for us to know him without being destroyed by him. He puts Moses in the rocks. He's gonna put his hand there to guard him. He's gonna limit the view given. He chooses the environment and shields the view. He does that for us as well. He makes it possible for us to know him in ways, right, where we're protected as well. He, he, he continues to work with us in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we are as idolatrous as Israel, right? We are, are guilty of building our own golden calves, We take things that this world offers, we abuse it, we worship it, we make it far more of a priority than it should be in our life. God still chooses to work with us. He still chooses to show his goodness to us. He still chooses to love us. He does this for Moses. We need to plan to see God in these ways in our lives as well. We need to to see whatever circumstances we're in right now. What do we not have and what do we want? What has been taken from us that we wish we still had? How do we filter all of that and say, my God is good, my God is sovereign, he provides and he protects me? How do we desire that more? How do we desire that more uh, and be okay with it, with whatever God gives us as well, right? Like, Like, are we at a point where we can really say, man, I wanna know God in that way, even if I have to go through things like Job? Like, take the things that need to be taken from me if need be. Withhold the things that I don't need if it means me not needing you. Plan to see God work in these ways in your own life. His goodness, his sovereignty, his provision, his protection. And then lastly, and praise God for his willingness to reveal himself. He didn't have to. He doesn't have to. And yet we serve a God who chooses and wants to reveal himself. We serve a God who was created, who has created in order to be known. That's that's why we've been created, because he wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal himself. It's why he chose to create us. He wants to be known. It's why he labors to draw us to him. He won't even let us be content not knowing him. Think about that. Like, Like Israel is like, hey, send us back to Egypt. We don't want to know you. We don't care. Like we'd rather be there. And God's like, I didn't give you that option. I know that's what you're picking. It's not on the table of what you get to choose right here. And God is so in, intentional about being known, he won't let us not know him. Like He's not okay with that. He continues to draw us. He continues to labor for us. We can praise him that he's, he's a willing God to reveal himself to us. He wants us to long for him more, and he's pleased to respond in ways to increase our capacity for him. Now, don't think that just by wanting to know God more, it means that you gotta go through everything that Job went through, right? That's not always how God works. God certainly blesses and bestows earthly, earthly gifts to his people. And it's a way of showing his goodness as well. Because don't miss the fact that after Job goes through it, man, he gets after it as well, right? Like, Man, God shows up and just it's just pouring things out on him. Right? So it's not that to to be miserable is to know God. Right? But God certainly puts us regularly in position to where we're exposed to the fact that he is greater than anything this world offers. He is to be our treasure. Number two, we serve a God who has sacrificed in order to be further known. Remember, we're in the Old Testament here where a lot of the language continues to convey that God can't really be seen and known on the levels that Moses wants. But things shift and change in the New Testament because God goes even further in helping us know him. and He does it visually by sending his son as the embodiment of his goodness. Don't miss like what we're celebrating here in this Christmas season. It's that we get to see God in human form. He came so we could see God. When we sing during this time, Emmanuel, God with us, don't lose sight of the fact that he is taking his glory and he is embodying it in in an image that we can see and understand. Jesus, God in human form, this is what it means to see God and to know God. The disciples say, Jesus, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us right? Like they too are kind of echoing this desire from Moses, show us the father. Look what John 14 verse 8 says. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. Jesus responds in verse 9 and says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus says, to see the Father is to see me. To see me is to see the Father. John chapter 1, verse 14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. See, there were things that weren't true in the Old Testament that are now becoming true in the New Testament. Moses, you can't see me. Now he's telling his people, you can. You can through Jesus. Like I, like I have sacrificed so that you can know me on a more intimate level. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse six. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's made himself known, even more so than Moses maybe was really able to grasp and understand, because Moses didn't know Jesus. He didn't know the human form of God, and and we now can look back and know him that way. But we don't sit here and say, so I guess that's it? Like, that's that's the end of it? Like, God has revealed all that he's going to ever reveal? No. There's still further revelation to come we celebrate this first coming here at Christmas but we long for the second coming when Jesus returns and we're remade because there's still more revelation of God's glory to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. What's Paul saying there? He's saying man we've got, we've just got a glimpse so far of his glory like that glimpse continues to increase like our view continues to widen right i was sitting in a deer stand yesterday my view needed to be widened yesterday for me to kill the deer that i wanted to kill right like i had a i had a dimly lit view the sun setting and i'm looking down this this shooting lane and I'm thinking to myself, if somebody had just cut these branches right here, I would have seen that deer in time to shoot it before it stepped right into the other woods. Give me a bigger view, right? Paul says, man, my view of God's glory, it's, it's, it's narrow, it's dimly lit. Like, man, it's great, it's good. But to think about that widening and being bigger, man, I long for that. I long for that. And that's coming for us. That's coming for us. 1 John chapter 3. Verse two through three, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but when we, uh, sorry, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John says, long for this, long for the day when we're going to see him on an even greater capacity, when our, when our view is going to widen exponentially because now we're completely remade. No more sin, no more death, no more suffering, no more hindrances to being in his presence. We get to enjoy him forever. It's coming. And we can praise God this morning that he is a God who wants to reveal himself and he's not done yet. He's still got more revelation to give us. What's our application? Well, I think it's really interesting. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this because I hadn't until I was studying this passage. But you know what would have been super helpful? Is if Moses gets done with this experience, because cause we would say, I want to know God. Like, I feel you, Moses. Like, I want to see him. I want to know him. Like, what are we talking about when we're talking about his glory? Like, what was the burning bush like, Moses? How's that different from what you're asking for now? It would have been super helpful if Moses had drawn us a picture, right? Like, all these words that Moses writes down—Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy—like, where's the picture version of this, Moses? Like, surely, like with all your 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 artistic ability from the from the from the writing standpoint, surely you could have used that pen and paper to draw us a picture of what you've seen. Why not give us a a, a picture, an image, so that we can know God visually? Same with Jesus, right? Like. Thanks, disciples. Everybody wrote down all the words that he said. Where's the picture, right? Like, why don't we know what he looks like? It probably protects us from the things that we're told not to do, right? Worship idols and create graven images. But I think it's important to see Exodus 34, verse 27. What is he told to do? And the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. He doesn't say, draw this picture, so that people for generations to come can understand my goodness and understand what it means for my glory to be shown. He says, write these words down. Here's the application for us. Instead of a description of the way God looks, we get a description of the way God is, making the word of God superior to a picture of God, meaning the best way to know him and pursue him is through his word. We don't get a description of the way God looks. We get a description of the way God is. That means the word of God's better than a picture of God. And the best way to know him, the best way to pursue him is to do it through his word. I'll close by reading Psalm 119. One through 11. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. How do we seek him with our whole heart? We seek to keep his testimonies right? Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And hopefully you'll leave today with a desire to know him more. But here's the thing, we don't need some mystical experience with him to do that. We know him best through his word. That's where he has chosen to reveal himself. Not in pictures, but in words right not in a visual description but in a character description we can know his goodness because we can see his faithfulness for thousands and thousands of years to his people why why does this matter for us as we leave today on a on a on a rainy sunday afternoon because i walk out these doors and i say he's still good to me he's still the same god he's still merciful he's still gracious he's still sovereign like i walk out not in a rock right, not with his hand over me, but I still walk out with his same protection. I'm walking out of this building today under the umbrella of a good God who is gracious and merciful and completely in control, and I'm not waiting to hear back if his boss is okay with that. I don't have to, I don't have to hope that he'll be good to me this week if his boss approves it. He guarantees his goodness to me, and that's the, that's the greatest assurance that we could leave with today. And that's the greatest thing that he wants you to know about him today too. If we were to be able to ask as well, show me your glory, he would say, I want you to see my goodness. See my goodness. I'm a good character in this story, which means you can trust everything. That statement that I gave you earlier. um, When you know God is good, it removes all other doubts you might have about him. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you that you are a good, good God. Lord, help us to rest in that today. Lord, we're not waiting until the end of a story to see if you turn out to be good. We can cheat. We can read the last chapter. We can know that all of this turns out for the good of your people. You've assured us of that. You've promised that. Lord, help us to rest in that today. Whatever we're dealing with, whatever things have been taken from us, whatever things have yet to be given to us, God, help us to filter all of that through an understanding that you're good. And if you're good, we don't have to doubt the other stuff. We can trust all the other actions by you are meant for good purposes because you're a good character in this story. Lord, help us to take comfort in the fact that you are the superior character in this story. You're sovereign, you're in control. And because you're good, that's the greatest assurance that we can have today. Lord, help us to leave today trusting that. Lord, help us to leave today wanting to know that more and more and more. Because we can know it right now. We can hear about it right now. Lord, we want to see it like Job saw it. Lord, help us to see it first through your word so that we're prepared to experience in our own unique ways that you choose to give us in our circumstances. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.